Lord, we just come before you. We ask you to bless this study as we look at the book of James and that you will guide and lead us in what you'd have us to, to see from this. And we just thank you for your word and for your loving kindness and your care for us. And we just want to seek and worship you today in your son's name. Amen. James 1, verse 18. On his own will beget he us with the word of truth that we should be kind, be a kind of first fruits of his cre- creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. Wherewith, wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goes away and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. So we're going to take a look at this. Uh, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. God is the one that gives us a new birth. And this is important. Jesus was talking to Nicodemus and he says, you must be born again. And for us as Christians, it is very important that we have the new birth experience. We've all experienced it. We've talked to different people that say they're Christians, but they really don't seem to know God. And we have this idea, and it's really heavy in the church, that all you have to do is say, you know, Lord, I'm a sinner. I deserve punishment. Come into my life and save me. And yes, those are the proper words. It's the proper attitude. But we must believe those words. And not just as we talk about belief in English, but in, in Greek, it is, the word is epinosis. It is complete knowledge, full knowledge. Uh, knowledge that leads to a faith and a conviction of And we need to make sure that people understand, and ourselves if need be, that we truly are sinners. And I've met lots of people, especially the people who've grown up in the church, that have little trouble thinking of themselves that they were sinners, or are sinners, and that we deserve the punishment of hell. Because if you talk to most people, the thing you're going to hear, you're going, where you go when you die and go, I hope I go to heaven well how do you get into heaven and you'll hear some version of I, I, I do more I'm a good person or I do, I've done more good than bad or whatever their attitude is and they're not really accepting the truth that they deserve hell because of sin and then that Jesus paid for it but we, to be saved that we have that absolute conviction we're sinners we deserve punishment and Jesus has made us new. We are newborn. We are saints before God. And this is something we've got to be able to understand. We talk often about God says we are perfect once we've accepted Jesus Christ. Now we know we're not. We know, we're, we, know we have problems. But you know, but in another sense, we are perfect. We are saints. We are holy ones before God because that's what he says we are. Now, we still sin, we still make mistakes, but God's judgment of us is what really is important. And here he says that of his own will begat us, he us, with the word of truth. God's word. 
and we've said this before, we need to believe his word even in places where we struggle with it. And I love Dr. McGee's quote that where he and the Bible disagree, he's got to change. And this is the same thing I believe. If I disagree with anything I read in the Bible, the problem isn't God and his word. It's my understanding and my submission to him that's at, at the problem, not his word. And I have to agree that his word is right in spite of what I think or what I feel. Too many times in our life we, we live on what do we feel. Do I feel saved? Do I feel like a child of God? Do I feel like loving this person? And God says he really doesn't care whether we feel like it or not. He says, you are my child. You are to obey. You are to love others. And we need to begin in this place where we're going to agree with God that God is right. And he's right all the time. And any place where I'm going to disagree with God, I need to learn to submit to him and let him show me why he's right and teach me. And it's amazing, the, the more I walk with God, the more I realize he is absolutely right and it's getting easier and easier to agree with him and follow him. Because that's because he's made us new. He has made us born. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we are a new creation in Christ. And that new creation is a perfect creation that can walk in God's truth as long as we let him change us and keep our flesh crucified. And then it says, you know, that we should be the, a kind of first fruits of his creation. And this is very important for us to understand. James is talking about it in the early days when the, when the apostles and the disciples and the followers were the first fruits. And we've got to be understand this from his position as a Jewish individual. First fruit was the first Sunday after Passover. And that is the day that Jesus resurrected from the dead. He was the first fruit of salvation. He died on Passover. On Sunday, he rose from the dead. And that was on first fruits. And we are a first fruit of that we are part of that same creation we are people who have come to Christ becoming his people and we live a different life we have been produced Jesus said that he's the vine and we're the branches he that abides in him lives if we are Christians and we are engrafted into Christ he is the source of our life he is the source of our nutrition he's, a, he's everything for us and if we get separated from that vine we're dead and worthless just as any plant if you you know you have a plant growing this beautiful watermelon you have a watermelon vine growing a beautiful watermelon if you cut the watermelon off from the vine it's not going to grow and a matter of fact it's going to rot rot away unless you take and eat it but but as soon as you take it away from the life source of the vine, it starts dying from that moment on. And we need to be attached with Jesus in that same way. He is our life. He is our everything. And we need to actually understand he is everything in us. He is our complete life. He is our food, our, our nutrition source. Verse 19 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let everyone be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. This is so 
contrary to the way we want to act as people usually. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and not listening to what, they, you, what they're saying and you're ready to say what you want to say instead of listening to them? And you're just, you're just kind of, well, would you shut up for a moment? I got something very important to tell you and they're trying to tell you something that's important to them. And we all tend to do that. It is the natural state of things. And God is saying, be swift to hear. And what he's saying to be here is hear him and hear his voice and slow to speak. How many of us in our prayer time spend all of our time in prayer talking? And God is saying, I want to talk to you. Prayer is actually a conversation. It is not just me monopolizing on a monologue to God. It needs to be a two-way conversation. So we open up our Bible, we, we, we read, we talk to him, we listen, to, we listen for his voice. And this is very important that we learn to listen and not speak as much. You know, it's been said we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Uh, you know, but we are supposed to listen to other people. We are supposed to listen to the complete problem they're going to give us. Because sometimes people don't want you to speak. They just want to you to hear bothering them. And sometimes by speaking, and this is why psychologists are taught basically just to let the person talk. And usually after the person's talked for that time with the psychologist, they walk away saying, thank you, you really helped me. And the doctor has said nothing. But it, it's very important. And then he says, be slow to wrath. How quickly do we get angry sometimes? And this is something really important that we need to understand. A lot of times we get angry about a situation when we've heard one side of the situation. And it's very funny when I've, listened, when I've listened to two people that are having problems and I've tried to help them come up, solve their problems, and I get to hear both sides of the story, and it's like, boy, these two people have different versions of the same story. And then you have to try to figure out, you know, get them together to try to hammer out what really happened. And sometimes you can just by their versions of your story. You find the parts that are the same and you kind of know a little more about what, what happened. But we have to be careful with getting angry angry at ourselves because <laughs> that doesn't do us any good either to be angry at ourselves doesn't do any good we can be convicted we can repent and this is important that we repent when we do something wrong too many people hold themselves with non-forgiveness and they are hard on themselves they're bitter on themselves you know, and people go to two extremes they're either harder on themselves than they are on others or they're harder on others than themselves and it's sad when people are harder on themselves because they're looking at, well, I know that I could have done better and I, sh and I knew I shouldn't have been doing this. Well, that's fine. Confess your sin. Tell God you agree with him that it's a sin and go on. And turn to God. Repent. This is something that's very important. And we can't get angry at others. Usually when we're angry at others, what we're really angry is what we think they did, not what they did. Okay, and I've seen this more than one time. They did this because... And they give a motive to why they did something. And that's a very dangerous place to go. Because you don't know why they did something. No matter how well you know them, you don't know why they did something. And, and I've heard it over and over and over again in my lifetime. Well, they did this because they were of this reason. I'm going, how do you know that? Well, I just know. You know well, I'm glad you're a mind reader. <laughs> to be careful of assigning motive to people's actions. Because as soon as we assign a motive, then we're, 
usually mad at them for the motive that we assign, not even for what they did. If you're going to be angry, at least be angry about what they did and not what you, why you think they did it. And believe me, I've seen this over and over and that people get mad at what they think they did. But wrath, it says, for the wrath of man does not work righteous, the righteousness of God. God knows that our anger is not his anger. If God gets angry, it's because he knows all things and he actually can read the mind. He knows why somebody did. When he assigns the motive to him, he knows exactly what he's talking about. And he knows whether they will repent or not. And we need to, our goal should always be to lead to repentance. To go toward repentance. Repentance is to basically confess that what you've done wrong and turn away from that sin and turn back to God. We can do that without coming to church. You can do that without talking to anybody. It's just, God, I, I, I committed this sin and I agree with you that it is a sin and please forgive me and you turn away from that sin and you basically turn around and go the other way to God. Most people, when they repent or turn away from a sin, quote unquote, turn away from the sin, make provision for the sin. God, I'm, I'm going to give up my drugs, but I'm going to keep the drugs in my drawer just in case I, just in case I need them. You know, no, you have not repented in that case. You have not repented in that case because you've made a provision for the sin. God, I'm going to give up alcohol, but I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep these eight bottles in my, you know, tucked away in the bottom of the closet just in case. You've got a problem there because you're saying, I'm going to stay here and be ready to commit the sin and make it easy. And this is, you know, I'm going to repent of my pornography, but I'm going to keep my stack of uh, uh, pornographic material over in the closet so that if I, you know, I don't have to rebuy it again if I, <laughs> if I want to go back. That's not repenting. But it is not repentance if you're making provision for it to continue. And this is something we've got to be careful of. God says, I want you righteous. And that says, give up, turn away from whatever the sin is. You know, I named three sins off, but it could be any number of sins out there that people make provisions for. And we've got to be very careful about that. God says, wrath does not work this way. Verse 21 says, Therefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and that means the superabundance of naughtiness. And God is saying, get rid of all filthiness in your life eliminate it and get rid of the superabundance of naughtiness. When we're walking in the flesh, everything about the flesh wants to sin. And if we make provision for the flesh and make it easy for the flesh to fall back, it will. If we make it difficult, it'll be something that is much harder for us. And this is something that is important. Most people, when they say they repent, They've got this little territory marked out for Satan saying, Satan, you can have this little territory because I'm not quite totally given up. And then they find themselves falling and, they're going, and they wonder why. They left that provision. They left that place for the devil to have power over them and wonder why they committed it. Why did I turn back to the drugs? Well, they were very easy to, you know, Satan, you know, God and Satan allowed me to have a trial and I just turned to my way out. How did I go back into the bottle? Is because it was sitting there and I just felt I needed that calming, you know, calming drink. And the next thing you know, you're back to where you were. This is why it says, lay aside, get, uh, lay apart, lay aside all filthiness. 
put it away, give it to God, allow it to be put under the blood, and live in victory. We are saints. God says we're perfect. We need to live in that victory, knowing that sin is sin, and it is filthy. And even our righteousness, God says, is filthy rags because we do it instead of him doing it. So we need to live in Christ and let him lead, let him guide. He didn't say our righteousness is that. He says it is like that. So when God looks at our righteousness, he sees just something that is disgusting. So when people try to go to God, and this is why when people say, I hope I'm good enough to go to heaven. Well, you want to appear before God in surgical, God will look at you as a, as a disgusting thing. And this is the problem when people say that. They think that their righteousness is something good. And God says to him, he looks at it and it's disgusting. Especially when you had the opportunity to put on the righteousness of Christ and stand in him in perfection. Which is why our own, rag, our own righteousness looks so disgusting to him because he gave us the opportunity to stand in perfection and we choose to stand before him in something less than perfection. And it was a free gift that he had for us. And this is why it's so important for people to be in Christ, walk in Christ, stay in Christ. And by our salvation, we are put in Christ and Jesus is going to hold us and keep us. And when we stand before the Father, he says, oh, yes, there's my precious child, my precious perfect child, because that's what he sees. He sees Jesus. He sees us wrapped up in Jesus. And you think about this, you know, if you've ever seen or ever had the opportunity to, to go and get really dressed up, you know, put on a tux or, a, or the grand ball or grand grand gown or whatever you know usually usually you're when you get married you know you get you get fully decked out the the wife comes down dressed up in that in that beautiful gown that just takes the breath away from from her potential husband and they most of the husbands are usually uh, grooms are usually happy if they can stay standing at that moment god says i've given you this chance to be fully dressed in something that pleases me and when we reject that it disgusts him. And so we look at that aspect of it. So we lay aside all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our soul. We are engrafted into Jesus. We are made into that vine. We are connected into the vine. And it is that Word. Who is the Word? It is Jesus. We are engrafted into Jesus. We start living with all of our nutri nutrition and life comes from Jesus. When we're being fed by Him, when we're living in Him, being fed by Him, our life changes. We become who He is because His life is just filling us that much. Not only do we get engrafted into him, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us and starts changing who we are from the inside as well. So we've got this whole activity going on where God is changing us. He made us a new creation. We're engrafted into Jesus. We're drawing our life from him. The Spirit indwells us and changes us because we are buried inside the Spirit and he just changes us over time to be more like him. And we become more like God with each passing day 
we will never be God. We will never be completely like him until we get glorified. But each day that passes, we become more and more like him. And the more we become like him, the more we bring him into every situation. The more we learn to love others, the more we learn to treat people kindly. Because God is in us, changing who we are. And I'm hoping that when you, when you think about this, are you more loving today than you were however many years ago you want to go back? Do you love people more? Are you more, more willing to edify people? Are you willing to cover their sins because you love them enough to say, I want to protect this person? They need to know, draw closer to God, not be condemned by others. That does not mean by, by covering their sins that we're going to say their sins are okay. Because they're not, and they don't need to, and they don't need to believe they are. But I'm not going to go walking around saying, you know what so-and-so has done, and what, you know, you know, if you really knew this person, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to have him. No, I'm going to build them up. I'm going to edify them. I'm going to tell people what sin, that, that it is sin to them directly or in my, or my messages. But when I deal with them, I'm going to edify. I'm going to build people up. Encourage. Many times I tell people that start talking about others, no, we're not going to talk about that. It happens a lot. You know, and, you know, and I'm usually fairly quick at it, but every once in a while I don't kind of realize what's going on until it's a moment too late, and I go, no, we're not... We're not doing that. We're not talking about people like that because that's not the way God wants us to talk about one another. This is the way rumors and, and, and bad talk work. The first time you hear something about somebody, you may, and it's a good person, you don't really believe it. But all of a sudden the rumor starts going around and you start hearing it two, three, four times. And maybe they're just repeating the rumor that the first person started. But after a while it starts making you wonder, is what I'm hearing true? It's better not to even listen to any of it because it is number one it's irrelevant if anybody is talking about somebody else and saying bad things it is totally irrelevant to anything that goes on in your in their life in your life and is probably blown out of proportion this kind of stuff happens all the time in the Christian world crouched in you need to pray for so-and-so this that and the other thing and it's like uh, stop you know uh, maybe I need to pray for them, but you don't need to go and tell me all the bad things that I need to pray about them. Or I don't need to know that. God knows that. So the Christian world is real good at, at cloaking gossip and maligning of people in the idea of prayer. And it's rampant in the Christian world. Well, it's rampant in the regular world, but it's rampant in the Christian world to try to cloak it in prayer. And it's a way that they can share all these bad, bad things about somebody and, and gossip about them. And we need to stop and say, okay, fine, I'll pray for them, but I don't need to know all these facts. I don't need to know why they need prayer. Now, if you want to come to me and you go pray for me because of this, that, and the other thing, then I don't mind at that point because you're sharing it. Um, but I don't want to know, you know, I don't want to have somebody come and say, you need to pray for Gary because of, you know, and start rambling on about things because, number one, it may or may not be true. And... I don't need to hear secondhand information about somebody. It is critical that we keep this, our, our own hearts pure in this area, that we don't want to hear negative things about other people. And I very quickly get shut out of the rumor mills because I always say, you know, I have a great answer. When somebody wants to talk to me about somebody else, it's like, okay, let's go talk to them, and then you can tell me whatever you want in front of them. You know how many people have taken me up on that offer in the last 35 years? Zero. 
Nobody has taken any up on that offer to go talk about somebody in front of them. The whole purpose of gossiping is to make somebody look bad and you look good. That is why people do this. Now, let me tell you about so-and-so because I'm going to put them down and I'm going to look good by comparison. And that is exactly what's going on when people gossip. They're tearing somebody down so that they could be lifted up. Now, do they consciously fully aware of that? No. That purpose, I'm trying to tear them down. And this is why when we love one another as, and, and edify one another as, as Christ, we're building people up and we're making them look good almost to the place where we're not looking good necessarily. We are looking to edify and build others up because we are to be that humble person that isn't looking for glory. And it's not to be self-effacing, it's not to be super humble, it's just because I, we love one another so much we want to speak well of them. And when you meet these people saying, you know, did you hear about so, oh yeah, you know, they, it's really great how they bless this person you know, try to think of the good things that these people do and turn, it, turn, their, turn their gossip around on them and talk about good things on them. Everybody has something you can talk you know, good about. It may be hard to find on some people, but there's always something that is good that you can say about people. And if you can't think of anything good to say, just don't let them say anything bad. And it becomes really quick. Like I say, people don't talk to me. People don't talk to me about gossip because my wall goes up very quick to say, I'm not going there. We shouldn't be going there. And I don't do it just here. There's people here that know that have a tendency to want to talk about people and I immediately put up the wall that says, no, we're not, we're not going there. But I have done that all my life. Wherever I'm at, I do not want to hear negative things about people. Because God will tell me what I need to know about. Yeah, I don't need people to tell me all the bad things that somebody's done because God will tell me whether they need to be be dealt with or not. When I first came here, there was an individual who tried to tell me all the, all the problems of all the people in the town. I'm going, stop. God will tell me, but, but you need to know how to minister to them. God will tell me how to minister to them. I don't need anybody telling me what the, where they're at spiritually, where they are, what sins they're doing. I don't need any of that. God will tell me what needs to be covered. And he always does. It's, he's always been faithful to show me what I need to know about people. And even then, I'm not going to share it with other people. I'm just going to keep it between me and myself. And, and there's times when God has told me, you don't let this person do this or don't let this person do that. And I may not know why, but later on, God shows me very clearly why they weren't allowed to do something. And, you know, it is one of these things that when you're being led by the Spirit... You don't need to know what everybody else thinks about this person. And oftentimes, we're to deal with Christians as a new creation and not hold their past against them. And this is very hard to do in the beginning. You know, it's very hard to let somebody have your trust because they're saved. Now, does that mean if somebody is, is a thief that you give them the keys to the church and and, and, the, and the money and let them count the money and write the checks? No. <laughs> you know, we, don't, we don't get dumb in the process of all of this, but we still say, you know, you can be used. You can be used. You can, be, you can change. The hardest thing that people have is when, when people change and come to Christ is to forget their past. And it's something we have to do is forget their past, not to be foolish, you know, 
Not, you know, if you have somebody who's been molesting children and they get saved, great, but you know what? They're not working with my kids. I'm not going to give them that chance to fall in their sin. It's just not going to happen. Be more careful, right? You're still going to be careful, and but you're also going to give them freedom to do other things in the church. You're going to you're going to know that they are new. Let them prove that they have changed in their life, and then see where things go. James is kind of quoting, you know, be quick to hear and slow to speak. And we do need to put these guards, spiritual guards on our, on our ears as well, and spiritual guard on our tongue. James is going to go on later on and say that the person who can control their tongue is a perfect person. Because <laughs> usually when we get in trouble, it's with our tongue. Some of us have problems with physical activity and everything, but most of us speak without thinking and will say things that you wish that you could, could pull back. And the one thing about when, once you've spoken, it's out there and can never be removed. You can apologize for it. You can be sorry for it. You can regret that you've said it. But once it's spoken, it's in somebody's heart. And possibly more than one somebody's heart. But this is the problem that you have. Some people think that it's being honest. You're still to use love. Being honest, and this is what I've said, if you're going to feel that you need to help correct somebody in the spirit, that is fine, but you better be praying for the person, and when you speak to them, it better be out of love, not just blunt truthfulness, because blunt truthfulness is a hammer on an anvil that doesn't, that isn't of any value, and I've met many people who go, well, I'm just being honest, no, you're being obnoxious, <laughs> you're being aggressive, learn to love people, and it, it goes to the story, and I've shared with you, you know, two pastors trying to earn a pot spot in a church, both preaching on hell, and one, gets, one is very eloquent and very, very good speaker. The other is halting and stumbling over, and they hire the one that's halted and stumbled, and the, the one that was all eloquent and polished, he goes, well, why did you pick him rather than us? Like, we go, both spoke about hell, and they go, yeah, you sounded like you wanted people to go there. He, want, he did not want people to go there. He had love that says... I want, I want what's best for you. I don't want you to go there. And the other guy is just blunt truth. And we've got to be careful with this. Yes, you may be speaking the truth, but if it's not in love, it's doing harm. It is being aggressive. It's trying to make yourself look good at their expense. Love is going to come up to them and say, I am so concerned about you. I want to see you grow in this area. And I've been concerned about you. And if you approach somebody, they, may not still, they might not still like your message, but at least they're going to say they cared. And this is very important that we have this love. Jesus said that you, you, they will know you are my disciples by your love one for another. How many times do Christians tear each other up and rip each other apart rather than loving one another? You know, saying nasty things about one another, and you know, just in the, you know, and they might, you know, the sad thing is sometimes what they say might have an edge of truth to it. But it's still not something that needs to be said to tear somebody down. You know, pray for them, lift them up, build, help them improve where they're at. Because this is what we do. We are the body of Christ, and the body does not attack itself unless it's cancer. The body sends. If you cut yourself, the rest of the body sends extra blood, extra, extra energy to that spot that's cut. 
Now, the only time the body eats, its own, eats itself is when it's cancerous. And that's what cancer is. It's cells that are destroying other cells. And but a natural body that is healthy, when it is cut, when it is injured, the rest of the body allows greater blood flow to it. Now granted, it's not <laughs> consciously decided. But you know, we are the body of Christ. When somebody is hurting, we should be sending help that way, not criticism and, and, and punishment. And this is why Paul talks about us being the body of Christ. That we are to love one another, build one another up, edify one another, make sure that they're getting the help they need to grow, not be condemned. And too often in the church, we condemn people, we, we belittle them, we, we basically are consuming, consuming them because of their, their problems. And God says, love them. Give them grace. Lift them up. That doesn't mean we're going to allow them to keep sinning and, and without any retribution or correction, but it does mean that we love them enough to say, God, lo you know, God loves you. And we, and we help them. Verse 20 says, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. How many times do we hear God speak to us in a in the reading of the word, in a, in a Bible study, on, in a sermon, on the radio. And we go, wow, that's important, I need to do that. And then we immediately forget what we've heard and do not put it into action. Ray Glory said on a sermon one time, the easiest place to get a hard heart is in church. And that is a true statement because you keep hearing the truth so often, if you don't apply the truth, and you just keep hearing the truth without applying it, you start getting a very hard heart toward that truth, where it no longer plays any importance to you. And here James is saying, be doers. When God speaks to you in the word, follow it. Apply it. Most of us as Christians have a hard time applying God's truth to our life. We hear it, we know we're supposed to do it, and we choose either by omission or by commission not to do it. Sometimes we choose, actually choose that we're not gonna follow God's word. Other times it's just like he says, we hear it and we just kind of forget it. It flowed into our brain and, and washed right back out the other ear and we never really paid attention to it. And God, and we were saying, be doers. When you hear God speak to you, Go out and follow it. This is why when I tell, tell people, if you ask me to pray for you, most of the time I'm going to pray for you right that moment because, number one, I know I'm going to forget. If I don't pray for you right that moment, I'm going to forget. So it's much easier to pray for you right then. Verse 23, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in the glass, for he beholds himself and goes away and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. Here James is saying that the word of God is like a mirror. It shows us our sins, shows us our mistakes, but you know what it also shows us? It shows us who we can be, who we are in Christ. And we need to look at it and realize that's who I am. I am not a sinner anymore, I am a saint. I am not clothed in my own righteousness, I'm clothed in Christ. Do you realize the difference that should make in us? To know that I am in Christ, 
I am a saint. I am a holy one. I am being sanctified. God expects that I'm going to live more and more like him. We do not want to excuse ourselves and say, well, I'm nothing but a sinner, and that's why I sin, and God will understand. (laughs) You know what? God will understand, but he wants us to live in victory (laughs) because he's given us the victory to live in. We can live righteous lives if we allow ourselves to be crucified and live the way God leads us to live. And this is what he's saying. The word is a mirror. Most of the time we look in it, we see who God says we are, and we walk away forgetting who we are. And we start thinking, well, I'm just a sinner. I'm going to sin. God, you know, instead of confessing my sin and saying it's sin, I'm going, God, you just know I'm a sinner. And then we, and we consider that confession. God is wanting us to say, I did this, and yes, God, I agree with you that it is sin and that it was bad and that I should not have done it. But I know many people who have talked to me will go, well, I just have this problem in my life, you know. Okay, well, let's get past the problem and say that it's a sin. Satan is trying very hard to get us to look at sin and saying, well, it's just a, just a little problem. I, you know, I, I kind of fall down every once in a while. It's no big deal. No, God says it's a huge deal. And God says, no, it is sin. Call it sin, because until you call it sin, it won't be dealt with. If I'm just going to God and saying, well, God, you know how it is. I just have a problem in this area. You know, please forgive me. That is not confession and it's not repentance. God says to confess. In Greek, that is homologeo, to say the same thing as. God says it is sin, it is bad, it is filthy, it is dirty. And if I'm trying to come in and say, and say I've confessed by just agreeing with God that I made a mistake, I haven't confessed. I haven't said what God calls sin. When I confess, I tell God, God, I have sinned. I have messed up. This has been filthy. I don't want it in my life. And I am repenting. I'm turning to you. And this is important for us to get to this point where we are looking at who we are and saying, God, I am going to say what you say about this. I'm not going to excuse it that it's a sickness. I'm not going to excuse it to say it's just my my weakness. I'm not going to excuse it and say, well, other people have done worse. No, God says it's sin, call it sin, and repent. And here it is because he's saying we turn away from our word and forget who we are. We forget that we are his child. We forget that we are saints. We forget that we are his children that can walk in victory. Just as Gary showed when he read his verse, you know, if we control our mouths, we we all of a sudden look wise. If we can control our tongue, we look like we're pretty, pretty, pretty wise people. If we control our tongue, we make our problems tend to go away. An old proverb, and I can't remember where it's, it's better to stay silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and prove it. <laughs> and it's not a Bible verse, but it really is. It's based on the same thoughts of a Bible verse. It's better to make people think that maybe you're a little foolish and slow than to open your mouth and prove that you're a fool. You need to think about what does God want me to say? God, what is it that you would have me say in this situation? And often it's to say nothing. And if it is going to be something that God has put in your mouth to say, it is going to be positive toward that person. There's going to be edification. There's going to be love toward that person. And if there isn't those things involved in it, you're probably better off keeping your mouth shut and not saying anything to that person. And nothing negative about a person to somebody else.
because that is not going to do them any good. That is not loving them. That is tearing them down. And this is why it's so important for us to start listening to God, to think about what we say, to think about how we're, do we really love one another. And we want to be praying for the love of God to dwell in us richly so that we can speak his love. Jesus said, out of the treasure or the abundance of our heart, we speak. Is our life and heart so full of God and his love that all we're going to speak is love? Or is it so full of the bitterness of the flesh that I speak the evil, destructive words? And we need to think about this. Look, start looking at what you're saying. How are you saying it? Are people built up by what you say about them, or are they torn down and then start praying to God to help control your tongue, help fill you with the love that will help you speak kindly to people? And this is so important, so important that we lift up God's love to people, that we lift up Jesus. He says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. His love, his kindness, his edification. When Jesus met the woman at the well in Samaria, he did not condemn her for being a prostitute that she was. He talked kindly to her. And then, you know, when he did correct her, it was, you know, you've done well. You said you don't have a husband. In fact, and the person you're living with now isn't your husband. He corrected her, but it was, it was pretty much out of love. It's like, okay, we've been talking about this. You're not, you're, you need to understand who you are. And this is important, but he was talking straight to you, to her about that. You know, if you're going to try to correct somebody, make sure it's correction with them, not with others about them. Because others about them is not going to help them. And this is something that's very important. Speak love. Speak kindness. Build up. Edify. And because when we stop talking about people we're starting down the road of forgiveness you know, the banner we have up on the on the powerpoint each week forgiveness quit thinking about what they did wrong quit speaking about what they've been what they've done wrong uh, don't wish don't wish them evil we were to build them up even if they're not coming to church build them up because we don't need to help make them get worse very important that we always keep that edification going on Verse 27, but whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty continu and continues therein, and being, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So here we are, God saying, if you look, gaze intently into the perfect law of liberty. You know, the God's word, the perfect law of liberty. Liberty in this case means the liberty to do or not to do as we should, not as we please. Do you understand what that means? God gives us the permission to do what we're supposed to do, but not what we want to do. Because what do we want to do as sinners and, and lost and fleshly beings? We want to do sin. But God says we have the liberty to do anything that he allows that he allows Paul talked about it do you have the freedom to eat the meat offered to the idols go ahead but don't do it in front of somebody who has a conviction that it's wrong don't eat the meat in front of them flaunting your liberty 
and making them fall into sin by either eating it or by judging you. And this is something that happens frequently. People who have walked with God for a long time start getting a little bit of freedom to do things and the new Christian comes along and says, how can you do, how can you do that? How could you go see that movie? How could you watch TV? How could you, you know, there's all kinds of wild things that they get into. They get into this place where one of two things happens to the new Christian, the new believer that sees you and your freedom. They either judge you, which is usually their first step, or they go out and do it without the conviction that they have the freedom and liberty to do it. So we need to be careful as mature Christians to be careful what we do. God says that we want to be able to be tender toward them and care for them. If somebody has the freedom to go take a drink, but they're doing it in front of a new Christian who has had a problem with drinking, then don't drink in front of them. Wait to have your drink until later. I mean, it's not freedom and you're not addicted to the drink, then just wait because that new Christian may have a problem with that. And our freedom is not to hurt other Christians. And this is why Paul said, you know, I have the freedom to do this, but I'm not going to do it if it hurts somebody. And we want to be careful about all of these things that God has held out there. Verse 26, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridles not his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. This is that hypocritical spirit that we see amongst a lot of people. They go to church, they say they're a Christian, they say they're, they say they're following God, and all they do is speak evil, they speak bad, they tear people down. It says that his man, this man's religion is in vain. Now, here, James is not necessarily saying that they're not Christians, but he says what they're following is empty because it's not touching their life. It's not changing who they are. And this is important. When you, when you look at your life, and this is why I tell, tell us over and over again, we need to look back over our life. Are we becoming more like God with each passing year? Are we changing? Are we becoming more righteous over time? If we aren't becoming more righteous, we aren't becoming more like God, then we need to examine ourselves and say, am I in the faith? Because there's a problem there. You know, we're following an empty belief system if it's not changing who we are. And we've said this over and over. God has not given us a whole bunch of rules and saying, follow these, follow these rules and you're okay. No, he is saying, I'm coming into you and we're going to have a relationship and you're going to become more like me because I am going to kill your flesh and I'm going to make you live more like me just by being there. And this is what's important. Verse 27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is to visit the fatherless, the widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And this is just a list of things, a small list. He gives us two two examples, and then he goes, the, the one that's really important is to keep himself unspotted from the world. Pure religion, real religion. And I don't like I don't like the fact that he uses religion here. Because religion is following a bunch of rules. <laughs> Uh, but this word can also be translated worship. Pure and true worship is, and he uses to visit the fatherless and widows and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. In other words, God is changing you to be more like him. And what you do 
is you live out what God is changing in you. And this is why it's important. Are we going to be perfect in this world? Unfortunately not. Am I becoming more and more like God? Am I beginning to have some perfection in my life, at least in some areas? And as we draw in and show this perfection, people will see it. People will say, this is somebody who has a true relationship with God. They'll usually say religion, a pure religion, but has a pure rela relationship with God. And this relationship with God is what makes us a Christian because we're in his family. We have a relationship with him. He is changing us. He is making us, making us perfect. He is making us changed. And we get to walk in that perfection. And people will see it and they will be attracted to it or repelled to it, depending on how much relationship they have to God. They, usually the first thing is that they're repelled by it because they don't want to see God. The average person does not want to draw close to God. They push away from, they push, push against it. We are not who they are and they look at us and they're, number one, they're afraid to be judged because they're used to Christians judging them for their sins. So when we bring God into it, number one, they're already being convicted because God has been brought into it. And then there's that fear because they've dealt with so many Christians in their lifetime that do nothing but attack. And, and yes, yeah, so shame, shame on you, you know, you're bad, you're, you're, you're awful. And people get to the place where they don't want to know Christians because every time they meet a Christian or a quote unquote Christian, they get attacked. And again, the idea is we want to bring God into this, that God loves them. Jesus died for them. God loves them so much that his son died for them so that they can go to heaven as well. Not by getting changed and being made perfect, but that they will bring God into their life, their flesh will be crucified, they'll become a new creation, and then they will start learning to walk in pure, unadulterated religion and relationship with God. And that's what James is talking about here. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you care for us, how much you love us, that you sent your son to die for us so that we would be able to enter into your presence for eternity and that you love this world, help us to share that love with others. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.